Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from an undisclosed location in the Jersey Shore, an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, what's up is that you were a committed man to be doing this on your vacation, but we, we haven't missed a week in how many years now? Uh, seven and a half. It's incredible. Absolutely not, incredible. Not once. And not only, first off, I will say thank you. And second off, I would say uh, you're committed as well because you have just rode out a hurricane. Have you not? Yes, um, it was it was unbelievable levels of water. Um, I was over on Eastern Parkway, not far from where one of the stairs uh, at the close to the museum uh, became a waterfall. Just mm. it, today, Brooklyn will have waterfalls. Um, there was some incredible flooding down uh, towards the Guanas Canal in my neighborhood. Anyone who knows um, Brooklyn will know that uh, that canal. You don't want that thing flooding. You want it to stay where it is. You don't want it rising up. Um, it was pretty incredible. I got uh, I got pretty soaked, but thankfully none of the the high dangerous winds that that caused the real problems. We did not get any of that. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear you're safe. I hope everybody listening in the Northeast uh, is is safe, not dealing with water damage or or any of the effects of uh, Hurricane Henri. JJ. Yeah, indeed, Henri. Yeah. A very. Uh, yeah, very. I, I don't know. A perfect name for a tropical storm. I think. I guess so. Um, so we got a lot to get to today uh, here to look back on this weekend. A lot happened. We're going to talk, of course, about Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, I know it seems like you have a, a something, some stuff you want to talk about with Everton and and Leeds in what was a fun one. And then there were scenes in League Uh, and I feel bad kind of only parachuting. Like we don't talk a ton of League Uh, and I feel bad just parachuting in when something bad happens. But um, I'm curious, by now, people have probably seen the events that transpired between Nice and Marseille. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I am extremely curious to see how this will be handled. And uh, I will, I'll talk about why a little bit later on in the podcast, because this, is, this could be a potentially interesting outcome. And uh, I'm, on, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it as well. So we've got a lot to do. Also, Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess, I, will he be transferred? Will he not be? Are the rumors legitimate? Are they nonsense? It's, it's all very, it's all very fluid. So we'll talk about that. There's a lot to do. Let's get right into it though, with the Premier League from over the weekend, JJ and the marquee matchup that took place Sunday afternoon, Arsenal and Chelsea, Chelsea continue to look like the defending European champions that they are. And Arsenal continue to look like the defending eighth place side that they are, JJ. Well, we hope they look like an eighth place side. If you're, or at least Arsenal fans do. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> wow. So you're saying I'm actually uh, maybe over the top in my praise. I, I don't know. They've lost to a newly promoted side, uh, a newly promoted side that didn't even have to play that well to beat them. And uh, they've lost to the champions in a game that was pretty much over by the 35th minute, or at least it felt that way. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think uh, Arsenal are in a spot that they have not been in in 25 years. And it's it's very, very strange. We've seen, you know, poor Arsenal seasons, uh, the last few under Wenger, okay, but this is this feels different. And I think the the variable here is that you knew what Arsene Wenger eventually would do. You know, there would there would be some sort of steadying of the ship. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it always seemed to happen. Uh, you know, their course was corrected and they kind of stayed in contention or kind of in the in the top half of the table at least. Um, but now we're in uncharted waters because we have a manager who is a rookie manager and um, we do not know how this is going to play out. And he came in for some serious criticism. Um, it, it was it was unbelievable to listen to Lee Dixon, a doyen of, of great Arsenal teams, um, talk about something like how poor the Arsenal press was, how everybody wasn't doing their job and wasn't doing what they should be. He was saying how disjointed it was. He said, all right, one person goes to press there. Then the next guy behind is, is you know, half-hearted. And then someone else isn't even trying. And this was after 20 minutes of the game. And, you know, if Mikel Arteta can't get his team to do something as, I won't say simple, but as basic you know if you're a team that's going to press then everyone has to do it with the same level of enthusiasm and with the same you know just know what you're supposed to be doing and if if you can't get them to do that and it's that noticeable uh not good at all and i know i'm ranting here but uh, one more thing as well the the left side of arsenal's defense uh or the left side of the team really uh, the way chelsea targeted went down that right side you know no correction from. You're talking about the Kieran Tierney side. Yeah, the Kieran Tierney yeah. side. Like, so he, he, yeah, they they were overwhelming him. They, they the course were of that because game. they knew he's going to get forward. He's going to link the play with the forward players. A lot of overloads are going to have to happen in that area for Arsenal to take, uh, you know, attack wise. And Thomas Tuchel just said, "Okay, right. Well, then we're going to overload on that side, and we're going to put balls in behind and create massive problems for you." And they did, and it was it was as if Arteta didn't know what to do then. Um, just yeah, bleak, bleak day for Arsenal. Yeah, I, I would mostly agree. Now, there's a couple things. If I were, I'm not trying to mount a defense for Arsenal because I agree with everything you're saying. Um, no, but this is classic you. This this is what you do, though. You, well, you, I, you, I, I like we. First of all, don't you dare put this on me. You're one of the great contrarians this world has ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, but no, I, I'm gonna. I will say this on behalf of Arsenal fans who are right now listening to this and saying all they ever do is just crud on our team. I'm tired of this. Here's what I will say. If we're, if we're going to be fair and lay out a full picture for one, I, I thought that Arsenal had earned a penalty at the end of the first half. If that's given, who knows, maybe it's a different game. I don't think it is. Chelsea clearly looked like the better team to me, but this is a weird sport and they should have had a penalty. I'll give them that. And I'll say, it's not like they didn't generate any chances. Rob holding probably should have scored on a, on a header from a corner kick in the second half, um, you know, near post, got to it in time, just missed it. Um, so I'll say that. Now, the reason I don't want to go too deep on defending them in the, in those ways in terms of chances created is because the arsenal that you're talking about that we're used to under Wenger are not relying on just two opportunities basically to score goals. Like, you know, this, in this sport, if you have nine chances, maybe you score two goals. You can't rely on just getting two or three opportunities and scoring from them all. That's just not how soccer works. So I'm not going to go too deeply on that. The other way in which I will defend them a little bit, and I think this one is, is a little bit more legitimate, has a little bit more validity to it, is that I think the Arsenal team that we're seeing today or yesterday during that game isn't necessarily the Arsenal team that we're going to see in a few weeks. I think they were without a lot of key players, not just like a couple. Uh, I think like enough that it would cause a substantial difference, especially when you're playing against a team as, as good as Chelsea. So 
be down on them right now, certainly, because what you're seeing right now, tactically, what you're seeing right now in terms of depth, uh, yeah, bad, 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 bad. But in terms of making uh, a full judgment of what this team is going to be this season, I don't know if we can do that just yet. Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying. I don't think the Arsenal fans were listening. I mean, they're all aware of, of the problems with missing players, the problems with COVID within the club. They're all aware of that, the Arsenal fans, and they still decided that they would boo at half time. Yeah, you know, but that I but that's that within was... within the context of a game. That's what I've come to expect from fans. They're not happy with what they're seeing, and they're not going to really take the time to think about, you know, who's not here. Like, we're watching a game. That was bad. I'm going to boo now. I get that. But, but I, And I think they do. They have, like, young players that I would be you know excited about that they've they've got a bit about them mm-hmm. you know Emil Smith Rowe I, I I think he's got a lot of talent yeah I think you know obviously Saka um but it's just I don't know I just don't see enough progress under Arteta generally even when everyone's fully there and in the first game of the season I asked a question and I think uh, Roy Keane seized upon it. If you, have you got Roy Keane's quotes there from, from Sky at the weekend? Uh, I do have one quote where he's talking about their defending. Yeah, because I asked the question, uh, and Roy clearly follows my, my Twitter because we know he's a social media fiend. But I said, when did Arsenal become soft? Like, wh- what was the year or even the game <laughs> where Arsenal stopped being tough and became soft? Like, you knew you could get at them. Even, even average teams could get at them. There was a moment where we flipped away from the old remnants of like the Adams and Keones and the Saul Campbells and we clicked over and suddenly Arsenal were soft. Yeah, what Roy Keane said was, he said, Arsenal are decent going forward, but part of football is defending and there's a softness to them. That's not a quick fix. for young. Uh, your young players might get you out of jail the odd time, but long-term, there's a long way back for Arsenal. I mean, he's talking about like a, a cultural change needs to occur there, which which does not necessarily right. occur with one, you know, with, with Ben White, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, ben White. I, don't, Col- I don't mean could to be zeitgeist st- changer. <laughs> right. Uh, and look, you could see it. I mean, we'll talk about the Chelsea side of this, of course, but that first goal, I mean, the way Romelu Lukaku just swatted back Pablo Mari, like he was some kind of, like he was a gnat, not even a fly, a gnat. I mean, that yeah. that's... Like you're facing Lukaku. You just, I know it's easy for me to sit here and say, be stronger. Like it's not, you can't just snap your fingers. Oh, I'm stronger now. But like you have to come at it with like a different mental perspective of what Lukaku is and what he's about. And for Mari to just be, or don't get, don't get so close that you, you you know, that he, that he, because you know, the way he is, he loves to roll players and Mm -hmm. don't do that. Sit off a bit, do something different. You know, Um, it's as if they, it's as if they were seeing Lukaku for the first time. And, and that's another thing as well. What, did the manager not have a specific plan for for European Euro, European football's you know most potent striker last season? You know, did they not talk about what he'll do, the things he'll do, and how we'll combat them? It just seemed again soft. And I wonder, I wonder, JJ, if if they were surprised that he was playing. I was a little bit surprised when I, I mean I figured he'd be on the bench, but I was a little surprised when I saw him in the starting eleven. Yeah, maybe, maybe that, that's actually a good point. Maybe, maybe that's what happened, but even still. Yeah. Um, yeah. You talk also about Arsenal's young players and that actually, uh, I saw this from Graham Sunis, which I actually thought was, was a good point. Um, and he's talking about Bukayo Saka 
And, you know, because we've been exposed to Saka for a while and we've seen him with England, we don't necessarily view him as what he is, a, a child, a small child. He's 19 still. And Sunis points this out. He said Saka is arguably Arsenal's main man. It, um, is that a mark of where Arsenal are at this moment in time, relying on a 19-year-old to be the difference in games? In an ideal scenario, you would want a 19-year-old coming in, a settled team that is successful, but is not. that's not the case for Arsenal. Saka is expected to turn up every week and be the difference. You know that I, I was trying to think of other examples of of super young players uh, who have a world of talent, but like like Phil Foden at Manchester City, you know, like he's not expected to come in and be there. You know, well, we don't if we don't have Phil Foden, we're in trouble. Like that's not that's not going to be the case for him. He that's a settled side that he can come in and like do his thing and grow. And you know, you wonder about Smith Rowe, Saka, huge expectations, and so far they've done an admirable job in fulfilling them at such young ages, but it's a, in terms of like now also wanting them to lead Arsenal up the table from where they've been. It, it is asking a lot with guys like Obama Yang are not going to perform up to what we expect them to be. And Lacazette right now is obviously out. You know, it's, it's putting a lot on guys who are teenagers still to, to lead Arsenal. You know, that's, that's like you said last week about them. They're, they're a superpower, even if in this moment, they're not, they're a giant of the sport. And to tell a 19-year-old, okay, now we were eighth. That's not good enough. Go get us into the Champions League. Like, you're asking an awful lot of, of kids. Allow me to go full Roy Keane and say that uh, they have done something like this before. They've never been afraid to, like, blood talented youngsters. We saw when Cesc Fabregas making his debut, what was he, 16, mm-hmm. 17, and came in and then became a mainstay really, really quickly. But he was surrounded, surrounded by as... Mr. Keane would say, senior pros, you know, characters. That's not, that's not the case at Arsenal. He's not coming into a place where there's a ton of, you know, leaders or, or anything of that nature. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of senior pros there, okay, but they're not, they have not been successful for Arsenal. And yeah, there's, there's a huge weight on his shoulders. Yeah, like think I mean, of they, like Raheem, they, Raheem Sterling at Liverpool when he came up. You know, like there was, I mean, you had what, Gerard Suarez I mean, was he, there? He beca- like he became, right. But he became, he was important, but he was never, like you said, there was a, a sharing of the load. There right. was like, there was Gerard, there was even like you had say, like Agar at the back, Carher was in the side when, when uh, Raheem Sterling came in. So yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like that at Arsenal. Um, right. And by the way, Raheem Sterling did not come into a great Liverpool side by any means, but like within what a season, season and a half. You know, they were competing for the title under Brendan Rodgers. This is, the, this is different at Arsenal. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have more on Arsenal or should we get to the, uh, the victors not, from this game? Not really. I, and I don't have a ton on Chelsea, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't either. A couple things. First off, I, I at least wanted to talk about Lukaku. I know we kind of mentioned him there. Um, but like, there, there's hitting the ground running and then there's that that we saw yesterday. That was a great performance from a guy who just jumped back into the league. And I guess what I would say is I'm actually not shocked by that. A, because uh, I I think very highly of him as a player. He's great. We know that. Um, And B, you know, sometimes we talk about strikers and kind of needing, like if if you're not, if you're not from this league, you know, sometimes we see guys who are good elsewhere that come to the Premier League and they're just not as good right away. You can even look at Chelsea and Timo Werner as a guy who who struggled at, uh, throughout the course of last season. Uh, Lukaku's not going to be that guy. He knows this league like the back of his hand. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, he's in his prime. Like, I think Chelsea got 
exactly what they thought they'd be getting yesterday. And I see no reason why it doesn't continue. He scored a goal, probably should have had two, if not for a great save uh, from Burnt Leno. Eight shots, 11 touches in the box, the most of anyone in the game. Uh, so here we go. I mean, if you thought highly of Chelsea before, I think you got a taste yesterday of how good they could potentially be moving forward with him. Yeah, I, I one thing I liked about Chelsea again was their width. I thought Reese James was excellent, and he took his goal tremendously well. Like he, like what a confident, brilliant finish. Um, but I, I, I know they've got a game coming up against Liverpool, which will be much, much tougher. Uh, but that was that was very, very easy for Chelsea. And yeah, I know they got a bit of luck with a penalty that is a stonewall penalty last season, but under the new directions, is just not a penalty this season it's a coming together uh it's a you know a dangling leg that was caught they're not going to give those penalties although i kind of feel like it should have been one and that might have changed things a little bit but i still think chelsea were so uber comfortable in this game and um that's an indictment on arsenal for for what's supposed to be a derby it never felt like that yeah one other thing uh you talked about reese james who i wanted to mention yeah i, I thought he he's what he can provide chelsea is really dangerous we talked about lukaku i i did want to say one thing on the reese james goal because you know reese james obviously is going to get the plaudits for it but the job on the opposite side of the field before it even got to james that kai havertz did i mean he's got two guys on him and he's up against out he's he's like right up against the line of, of being out of bounds and for him like he kind of just back heels it i forget who it was to uh, but he he just like gets out of this jam and gets the ball back into space with this back heel it's perfectly placed and it's set up the whole goal and i i i was so impressed by it watching it in real time not even thinking okay a goal is about to happen here but just the fact that he was able to keep play alive and keep chelsea in possession and then sure enough they're good enough where it it led directly to a goal you know, he's someone that if we're talking about potential X factors moving forward in this season, uh, like he last season, whether it was due to like we're talking about coming from a new league into the Premier League, if it was because of his early battles with COVID, uh, you know, there was a change of manager. He, they spent a lot on him. And in the end, it worked out. Obviously, he scored the goal in the Champions League to win it. Um, but overall, Kai Havertz probably didn't deliver what Chelsea thought exactly that they'd be getting. And if they do, if he does turn into the player that they think, and you add to that now this collection of talent around them, Lukaku coming in, you know, other young players like Reese James now becoming stars, like Havertz is the one to me that can maybe take them to an even to an even greater level, where it's like, you know, we've looked at Man City on kind of this level, and then Chelsea maybe are a tick below them. Maybe it's more even than we realize if some of these players like him turn out to be what we think they can be. I would I would agree with that, and I would and you know I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say that the other players are not extremely talented, but you talked about X Factor today. I do think that Kai Havertz has much more, like he is a much more rounded uh, player than any of the other attackers that Chelsea have, and I, and if he hits form um, and and starts doing the things which he, we can see him doing already, um, he's going to be huge for them and we'll soon forget that last season was a struggle for him too. Yeah. One other thing on Chelsea. We have to do this, JJ. Oh my God. We have to do this. So Christian Pulisic, I'm going to approach this from, from two. Uh, this is a two pronged attack. The first prong of this is I'm, I'm going to approach this as a human being. Uh, the human being in me feels terrible for this guy. A, I hope he's okay. He was diagnosed with positive 
for COVID, even though he said he's been vaccinated, still tested positive, which we know breakthrough cases can occur. My hope, I haven't heard anything, but my hope is that he's asymptomatic, which I think up to this point he is, that he's feeling fine. You know, and m- along with that, I just feel terrible for him because this is another kind of stop and start to his career where it looked like things are going well. He scored a goal last week. He's in the starting 11 for, their, for Chelsea's first game. And bang, now he's got COVID and he's out 10 days. Uh, you know, And it just seems to be following this pattern from his career. The FA Cup final scores a goal, tears his hamstring. Like it's just this, we see this repeatedly. And um, I just, I feel terrible for him because I, I can't imagine how frustrating this sort of thing continues to be. I'm sure when that positive test came back, you know, he probably just looked up to the sky and just thought like, why does this keep happening? I'm sure he's beyond words frustrated. I just, the human being in me, I feel terrible for him. Um, And I hope he gets well as soon as possible. Now, of course, the other side of this, we know JJ fans are not human beings. Fans are cyborgs that were put on this planet for no other reason than to feel happy or angry with the performance of their team and their players. and, And they feel no actual human emotion. So the fan in me looked at this also and thought, oh, well, this is this is interesting timing, given the fact that the U.S. World uh, World Cup qualifying begins on September 2nd. Um, And so I I pulled up an article here at The Athletic um, from Paul Tenorio and Sam Steskal, and they uh, they basically break this down. So they say, according to UK government and COVID-19 policies, Pulisic must now isolate for 10 days. If he remains asymptomatic for the duration of his isolation period, he will be allowed to return to normal activities on a, at 11.59 p.m. August 28th. So basically August 29th. If he develops symptoms before then, he will have to begin a new 10-day isolation period that will start from the day following the onset of symptoms. In that scenario, Pulisic will almost certainly miss most, if not all, of the upcoming international window. Uh, so this is kind of hanging in the balance. I would say even if he does not develop symptoms, if August 29th is when he can begin uh, to reacclimate into society, I mean, I guess he can, you know, they say here, uh, if he's allowed to resume normal activities on the 28th, he'll be permitted under both UK and US guidelines to travel to Nashville in time for the start of US men's national team camp on August 30th. But JJ, remember, he will not have played, he will not really have done anything for almost, for essentially a week and a half, almost two weeks. Uh, and now you're talking about asking him to go into El Salvador for that first World Cup qualifier. Then they have Canada just a couple days later on September 5th, and then another tough one at Honduras September 8th. Uh, so I don't know. As it stands right now, my best guess is I don't know. I think he'll probably, if he's asymptomatic, he'll probably be able to take part in some way. But don't be looking for him uh, to be playing three games, 90 minutes. I'd say 0% chance of anything even close to that. No, uh, the big thing is he can't do group training. So he will, we know what he's like. He'll be training like an animal on his own, um, doing whatever he can. But the issue with that is that that is not training in the group. And then to, to throw him into these three games in quick succession, the last thing he wants then is to have a niggling injury coming out of that. Right. Misses more time with Chelsea, replaced in the lineup, which we know how quickly and easily that can happen. Um, yeah, so best case scenario is that he gets there, he he can participate somewhat, but that it, his minutes are managed to the nth degree and he comes out of uh, this three-game run, which is so tight. Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday. Um, travel as well included in that, you know, two away games and one home game. It's it's incredible. And um, 
it's another layer of difficulty being added to World Cup qualifying that these these windows are so tight. But yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't know, and we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and part of the humbling that we've undergone as American fans is like people outside of Concacaf will look um, at at really all three of those. But I'm talking for for away game purposes. I'm just looking right now at El Salvador and Honduras as the two road fixtures that the U.S. have, and people outside of this region will kind of be like, "Oh, okay, well, like, so you won't have them for those two. That should still be six points. Oh, maybe you're right. But those of us here who have experienced those features, th- those fixtures, and who have been humbled in the last five, four, five years. Uh, I do not take those for granted in the least. Those are some of the most um, extreme conditions that you can play in from a from kind of a hostility standpoint from the fan base that you're playing in front of. So, yeah, that's that's not nothing to be losing him for at El Salvador and at Honduras. And I guess if you're looking at what they'll do if he can't play, um, the one good thing that has come from the last you know, a couple of years with the U S is that they've been really able to, to blood in a lot of new young players. And I, I think it's kind of next man up. Like I think, okay, Brendan Aronson, like he can play on that side and he's played well for the U S. And so I think, you know, if they want to do a like for like, I think they can, I I think it's him and I would feel good about it. Not as good. Obviously if Pulisic was there, he's our best player, but still good enough that I think the U S can go in and win. And no, I no, think no, Aaron, no. I, I, can I, play well. I don't. You don't have to go to these lengths to ex- explain, Andrew. I totally agree with you. We 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 said this ad nauseum on the podcast. Yeah, we've got all these players. We've got these really good, talented players. But guess what? This is difficult. This is a different system of qualifying than we've had before with the tight three-game window. Also, we have players who are back now full time for their clubs. There's going to be injuries. We're not going to have everyone all the time. So we have to get on with it. Just get on with it. Simple yeah. as that. Uh, let's see. We move on now, JJ, uh, to Everton and Leeds, and a, a real fun one at Ellen Road. Yeah, this uh, when you see this fixture on 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 the calendar, you think this just classic Premier League fixture. I don't know why that is. There's a show on Sky TV called Premier League Years, and it basically goes back every season and goes through the major events of what happened that season interspersed with world news of world events of that, that happened in that particular season. Too. Is this on YouTube? Uh, yeah, you can get them on YouTube and uh, yeah, but they just run them. They're like filler on a, like a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock premier league years, 97, 98. Right. It's like and when uh, I'm watching a Phillies game and they go into a rain delay and it's like, okay, now it's yearbook 2002. Yeah. But I mean, and these are really fun and you sit there and you go, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, my God, what a goal that was. And, you know, some kind of controversy comes up. And Everton Leeds would be one of those games. It's just uh, it's just a classic. And uh, this was really good. And I hope people got to watch this one because this was one where you're like, ah, no, that's what a full Ellen Road is like. That is what a, a good traveling away support from Everton is like. That's what noise is like at the start of the game. It, the, from the kickoff, there was a roar at Ellen Road. Like, it was... And when Rafinha scored oh, the equalizer, yeah. it was it was amazing. Absolutely. And this game had a bit of bite about it. You know, these are two teams that um, of similar kind of standing in terms of their place in the English game historically. And they just they just got stuck into each other. They fed off the vibes from the crowd. Uh, yeah, this was this was a nice one. A very good game, too. And um I don't know. I, I think two two was a fair enough result. Well, even beyond what you just said is interesting that they, you know, their historic place 
uh, in the game. I think even beyond that's like the, what is it? That would be macro. The micro would be within the, the confines of this season. I sort of feel like these two teams probably believe they're battling for similar real estate as well. Yep. I would agree with that too. Um, even though as much as I, I want to think that Leeds are, I was more optimistic about Leeds kicking on uh, this season. I think the first two games would suggest that maybe that kicking on is going to take a little bit longer and there's going to be more tweaking needed, but yeah, you're right. Uh, that that's absolutely true. And, um, I don't know. There was, there was little things from this game that if I'm an Everton fan, you know, they had, a, they had chances to solidify that lead at 2-1 that were not taken. Hmm. Uh, but more than that, a couple of the sign-ins where you're like, okay, we'll see how this works out. Like, I thought uh, Damari Gray had a great game. Yeah. Like, I thought he had a really good game. And he looks like a, a solid piece of business. Um, and I, I don't want to uh, get ahead of ourselves. We do a jump to conclusions week in the third week of the Premier League. So I don't want to step all over that. But... I think uh, a home win against Southampton to start your Everton managerial career and then to go to Ellen Road and get a point is not a bad start for, uh, for Senior Benitez. Do, does he, I, I have not taken the temperature of my Everton fan friends. How quickly before, like, because you know, we talked about how they felt about that appointment. Overall, the majority were not happy with it. I wonder how long it takes for him to get them on side. Has he already? Um, onside. Okay. What does that mean? Like they're not, there's, when will they start chanting his name in a positive way in Goodison? Do you think they're going to do the Rafa, Rafa, Rafael, Rafael Benitez? They're going to copy the Liverpool song or something. That is good. That may never happen. Never. It wouldn't be any kind of like middle finger to Liverpool. Like if they take that and now make it theirs, they'd, uh, they will sing it if they win a trophy, a major okay. trophy. That's what it would take. All right, so you're right. That that was extreme. I apologize. Um, so okay, short of chanting his name, just like you know, there you're in a you're in a pub outside of Goodison before a match, and you're and it's like an Everton old head and a young guy, and they're talking. And they're like, I'll tell you what, maybe I was wrong about Rafa. Like, when will that happen? No, but it's not about being wrong or right about Rafa. Uh, for a lot of the supporters, the taint, the stench. The stank of, of, of Coppite is on him and shall never be cleansed from his soul unless he goes on the heath and have witches dance around him, you know, with sage. Okay. I mean, it's going to take some kind of, you know, medieval ritual to get rid of that stank. That stank doesn't go away. So you're not going to hear them say, I was wrong about Rafa. What they will say is that he's got us playing ball or we're much more organized or we're X or Y. It'll be on a tactical level, not on that kind of emotional level. So but- you're saying that they can never do anything more than tolerate him? I don't buy that. Are you listening to me? They can do more than tolerate him, but he has to do something beyond and that beyond would be to win a major trophy that is what he would have to do to take that next step and by the way he did that as interim manager for Chelsea and they still hated him at Stamford Bridge because of that rivalry that developed um for uh, for a few period for a period in the mid-2000s between Liverpool and Chelsea so that's how it goes fascinating uh, yeah I, I mostly agree with you about Everton I think you know if you were an Everton fan we talked about the, the uh, athletics morale table um, and where yeah. Everton was, they were rooted to the bottom of, of fan morale coming into the season. I would think they're probably up to about 13th in that table now. I would think fans are, are starting to feel better. I mean, there there's certainly signs from this game. Look, what, what happened on the, the first Leeds goal, uh, Michael Keane, you expect better from, just took a poor angle on it, 
slipped, slow that's to two react. Mistakes in, in, that's two mistakes in two games, Andrew. He's uh, like anyone who listens to this podcast know, knows I don't rate him very highly. But, you know, Rafa kind of creating organization, making players better. He's got a job on with Michael Keane in the start. He's made to the season. I, I don't. Yeah. It was so weird. You're right. He got like square to the ball and out of position and, and he couldn't turn. Yeah, it was it was, you know, those memes that came out when um, was it Jerome Boateng got absolutely minced by uh, right. Lionel then, Messi. Right. And then people like have a video of him disappearing off the screen almost or falling into a hole or. Yeah. 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 That Michael King did that to himself. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, there's certainly still things there. Like you're right. Everton probably feel like they should have won that game and they and they didn't. So there's they'll, they'll still have reason to kind of have concerns with this team. But. Like, you know, when we were talking before the season and you kind of challenged me and you were like, okay, be positive to an Everton fan, like find something positive. And I think, I think the thing that we both looked at holds true in that their young players are just now hitting their prime. And I think you're, you're starting to see it a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, Richarlison is a really good player, but a guy like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I mean, what is he only 24? I think you'll like, he's only getting better. They have guys who have not touched their ceilings yet. Uh, And so, you know, hopefully that alone with maybe overachieving a little bit in the way of some of their signings in ways that we didn't expect with gray. um, It it could be better than whatever Everton fans thought it was going to be. I agree with you. Uh, We continue now, JJ Manchester United go to Southampton, come away with just a one, one draw, getting a, what was a 54th minute goal from Mason Greenwood to at least get one point from it. Uh, not the same United that we saw a week ago. No, uh, not, not the same United, uh, actually the same United, uh, but uh, a di- different opposition. And I did say that the first time that they would meet some, a team that could, um, that wouldn't do the things that Leeds did, they would, they would struggle. And, um, you know, at times it was interesting because our respective uh, opinions of, of United, uh, you know, your opinion of Paul Pogba was vindicated in this game because anything good that happened, the creativity, there was a purple patch in the, in the second half, about 15 minutes where United looked, uh, looked good and they looked like they'd press on and maybe even win the game. Uh, Paul Pogba was at the center of everything and Mason Greenwood scores. Uh, but generally speaking, Southampton were pretty comfortable. Southampton had the best chance of the second half, which was Armstrong's like, that's a miss to me. I know it's a good save, but he's 1v1 with De Gea. He just needs to slot it low, and he hits it at a nice height, and De Gea comes up with a big save. I thought De Gea had a good game, too. Mm. Um, but United just no control in the middle of the park, Andrew. Like, again, it was, I mean, Matic and Fred, McTominay came on. Uh, Adam Crafton in The Athletic tweeted this, and I've been thinking about this for months. Like, I'm not saying he's the answer to to, to everything or maybe even anything but if you're Donny van de Beek and you're you're on the sideline again for that game like what must you be thinking and apparently we've heard he's worked really hard in preseason and you know he's got got to get out of the club I mean it's just amazing to me and um, even Pogba talking afterwards like Solskjaer set a record uh, at the weekend with this 1-1 draw uh, they went the whole of last season without losing a league game on the road and this result on the south coast took their unbeaten league away run to 27 matches putting them level with Arsenal's invincibles of 0304 and mm. Pogba was asked about it afterwards and he was almost embarrassed to talk about it because it's a record that means literally nothing he said it's about winning the Premier League 
and and like in that 27 game period, they haven't come close to doing it. Um, just just it, it's amazing to me. United have players to come back into the side. That's true. Uh, but it's amazing to me how Solskjaer hasn't just kind of. Uh, I was listening to Mark Lawrenson who talked about why is he playing two holding midfielders in there? Why doesn't he just go with one? Uh, I kind of agree with that too. But they have very little control in this in this side in midfield, Andrew. And as long as they don't like when they get on top in games, like they did for fifteen minutes against twenty minutes against Southampton, they've got to close it out, or there's it's always likely that this kind of result will happen to them. Um, and, and again, it comes, it's comes, it comes down to the manager because you look at the players they finished with on the field. Sancho, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba, you know. That's the thing. Like Mason I know, Greenwood, come on, come on. There's, I, 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 I believe the, more in this side than a lot of Manchester United fans who keep making excuses for the manager here. Like he's, it, 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 the buck stops with him on this. Yeah, I know the point you were kind of making there. I mean, you, you said it quickly. It wasn't your main point, but you mentioned that, you know, they do still have players that have to come back into the squad. And I don't know, like I said that earlier about Arsenal. I think it's different when you're talking about Arsenal against Chelsea. I think in a situation like that, yeah, not having five, six of your first 11, that matters. I can't, I don't know, for Manchester United against Southampton, no offense to Southampton, but when Bruno Fernandes, when all those guys that you just mentioned are out there, I, I can't, I have no tolerance basically for, they still have like, you know, Rashford was missing. Okay. He's, okay. yeah, he's a great player, Man, but not, Rashford, not, doesn't matter. Rashford's like, not getting matter. in that team. Are you taking out <laughs> Mason Greenwood to put in Marcus Rashford? Not in a million years. I'm not swapping anyone out for that. I think United have a team that are playing way below the level of the players that they have. And so you got to look at, uh, at, at the coach. Yeah. Uh, I suppose that's true. And we'll, We'll see what happens in the coming weeks, but he's not, he just got a new contract, so he's not going anywhere. Oh, this they, they have signed into this project. Um, also, uh, I think it was Duncan Alexander tweeted that you are never more than 25 yards away from a Chelsea loan signing. And uh, Tino Livermento was, I, th- I thought he was brilliant for Southampton um, at the weekend, and I think he's only 18. Great run um, he had on the he set up Adam Armstrong or just missed him, I guess, with his with his ball, but had a great run in that, in the first half. Gen, gener, generally a really good performance from, from Southampton. And, uh, you know, I think that was a really, Hassan Hoodle was very pleased at the end of the game. And he should be because, you know, losing three, one away to Everton in the, in the manner that they did after being a goal up probably didn't feel very good last weekend. So it was nice to steady the ship with this against uh, what's supposed to be a top quality side. So are Chelsea loanees kind of like the soccer world's version of six degrees of Kevin Bacon? It, it seems that way. I mean, we're seeing rumors today on a f- few football uh, websites that uh, Tejan Buchanan, uh, Canada's own, is uh, going to be on his way to Chelsea for $10 wow. million US dollars. And mm. you said immediately to me off here, you said, is he, is he just going to be loaned out then? I don't know. I'm sure he will. Disappointing if that's the case. He might be loaned right back to New England. Just have him finish out the season and then, I don't know, I guess he'll join up after that. I don't know. I don't know. A couple other things from the weekend, JJ. I know um, one of the talking points that's starting to emerge is, and you kind of touched on it earlier, the what referees are allowing. Uh, I know Jurgen Klopp had some comments on it. I know we were just talking about Man United. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer had some comments on it. This is this is now becoming a, a thing early in the season here. 
Yeah, the, the topic of, mo of the moment, Andrew, the topic du jour, as the French probably wouldn't say, uh, I feel like it's going to be the phrase of the season. Let the game flow. Uh, and it's the directive that referees are clearly um, taking to their bosoms. Um, maybe Burnley's not the best team to be talking about afterwards as Burnley play like Burnley, uh, as Klopp mentioned. But Klopp had some comments, as he always seems to have these days. Uh, this is what he said. You saw these challenges between Barnes and Wood and Virgil. I'm not 100% sure if we're going in the right direction with these kind of decisions. It feels like we are going back 10, 15 years and saying, well, that is the kind of football we wanted to see. It is just too dangerous. The rules are like they are, but you cannot defend these situations. It makes the game really tricky. They are the most difficult to defend. I'm not sure I like all the decisions in favor of the offensive team that is fine, like offside, but we have to stick to protecting the players. We cannot deny that. You cannot say that's a challenge. I love watching that. Watch wrestling if you like these kinds of, ch uh, these kinds of things. And Solskjaer, who was upset in the lead up to the Southampton goal, I think it was Bruno Fernandes, who I, I actually had no problem with this. I, I thought I, he got I hacked he, on that. No, I watched it again. I think it was okay. I think, uh, I can't remember who the player was, steps in in front of him and wins the ball. And, um, but okay, whatever. So this is what Solskjaer had to say. We cannot go from one extreme like basketball last season into rugby now. I like the more lenient interpretation. It's more like men's football, but that is a clear foul. Okay, right. Let's not debate that particular foul. All right, you can have your opinion on that. What these managers are saying is, is very interesting to me um, because if I'm Jurgen Klopp and I have the kind of midfield, which is a high-energy pressing midfield that wants to get players opposition players with their back facing their own goal, winning balls and nipping in and taking them. Oftentimes, some of those tackles are on the edge a little bit. They're just, if I'm Jurgen Klopp, the new leniency, particularly in with midfield challenges, is something I would be, now I know he's talking more about challenges with the center backs, but that's Burnley. That's the way Burnley always play. Burnley aren't going to be any different. In fact, Sean Dyche after the game thought there was too many soft free kicks given. So there's a, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm Jurgen Klopp, I'm not sure Burnley is the best example. Yeah, no, but I understand but what he means. You're right. But, but Klopp is but, but worried though. He's not thinking about his press. Like he's, he's worried of how, because he, no. he knows what his team is. They're an attack minded team that wants to fly against their opponent. He's, he's afraid of what teams are going to do to stop that. I, I, I you a very good point too but i do think there's a flip side to that coin and i do think the kind of challenges in the midfield to get quick turnovers and put the opposition on the back foot uh, this leniency will actually help jurgen klopp and help liverpool i'm going to i'm going to go on record i wonder if it'll play out like that it may not yeah i don't know i'll be honest as a fan if i'm deciding between and look i know there's a middle ground i get that but if i'm deciding between a lot of things being called and more leniency in the way of what's being called, I'll probably, I'd take this. I think I would I, take this. I 100% agree with you. Uh, Michael Calley tweeted this. Uh, I don't know who was watching football last season and thought there's not enough violence in midfield. Let's make one third of fouls legal, but it creates a whole lot of exciting chaos, I guess. And that is probably the point. Yeah. When, we, when, uh, when people like uh, the aforementioned Graham Sunas talk about our league, you know, the great thing about our league, you know, that, that, that kind of commentary. Mm -hmm. uh, that, this is the kind of stuff they're talking about. Robust, meaty challenges. And uh, they're back in, Andrew. Whether you like it or not, they're back. Yep. 
Uh, let's see a couple other things. JJ Danny Ings. Oh, Andrew, just or, give him the push kiss now. You think so? Oh, think hand it, it to him. I enjoyed it so much. I, I'm not ready to do that. Come on. He's the leader in the clubhouse so far, at least for goal of the season. I don't know about Puskas. I mean, that's... that's... Ah, yeah, no. Maybe I need to calm down. There was probably a goal scored in Malaysia that is just going to blow my mind. Actually, I take that back. I think it was Athletic... Yeah, Athletic uh, Mineiro in Brazil scored a better goal than Danny Ings's, if you can believe it. I'll take your word for it. Um, but yeah, it's so far, if we're talking goal of the season, you know, I'm, I'm always preparing for the Devonlings. I have a, a, a document, a rolling document with my awards. And right now, leader in the clubhouse. Uh, that's what I'll give him. It was a brilliant goal. Certainly. Certainly was. Yeah. Nice Bicycle start for him. Kicks so, always... at, at he, he, two goals in two weeks for, for Danny Ings at Villa. Yeah, ex- ex- excellent start. And people, people are already getting on top of me for what I said in the preview where I thought he might be overpriced. I thought it was a lot of money for a guy who's clocking on towards 30 and has had a history of injuries. So that's been used against me now after he just scores a bicycle kick in the second game of the season. It was a wretched opinion when you gave it. Um, <laughs> but like we always say, our, our predictions only matter when they're right. So I've actually stricken it from the record. So you, you can so. rest, you can rest easy. Kind of. um, JJ Tottenham and Wolves wanted to just mention a couple things from this. Obviously Nuno made his return to the Molyneux. It, it was, it was almost weird when they would show like, the, the angle, like the camera angle kind of behind Nuno and you could see the stands at, at Wolves behind him. And, and you almost had these moments where you forgot he was managing the other team. Like it just looks so natural to see him there in that stadium. Um, but he goes back, gets a win. Uh, Deli Alley converting a penalty after he drew the penalty with some craftiness, I would say, in drawing that foul. Kind of left that leg dangling to ensure contact. But the, that's, the, that's what the you're kind supposed of, the, to do, right? No, that's the kind of penalty we're not supposed to have this season. Well, he that's, got that it. That was one of them. Well, yeah, and that's the problem. That is the issue. Uh, that's the issue that Arsenal fans are Arsenal fans are uh, boiling bodily fluids over this. They were upset that they didn't get their penalty, but that Deli Ali did. Consistency. It's all we ask for. Consistency, and yet we never seem to find it. Uh, so, a couple things from this game. First off, Harry Kane came on as a sub. Uh, played the last 20 minutes for Tottenham. And I was, as a Tottenham fan myself, who has been conflicted on this one, I was so curious as to how he would be received by the away fans, the, the Spurs supporters that had traveled there. And he was received with open arms. He's one of our own. You could hear it. And then you heard the Wolves fans responding with a kind of contradictory chant of, uh, to that. But the Tottenham fans, they, they applauded him. Uh, and then Harry Kane, after the game, he he acknowledged that and he applauded the the traveling supporters that were there. So he's back. All is well, JJ. Look, uh, there seems to be maybe some kind of realization that City aren't going to meet Daniel Levy's price. Uh, now, the big question is, why won't they do that? I think it's to maintain at least, you know, this is a team that's been the FFP spotlight has been on them quite seriously for the last few years and even more intensely over the summer with the Daily Mail article. Um, and so, you know, spending a quarter billion on two players is going to, going to raise questions. And uh, I think whatever they're trying to do, I think I, I wouldn't be shocked if City are trying to offload some players as part of the Kane deal and Levy doesn't want that. He wants straight cash money, yo. I think... You know what? I'm not even going to make a prediction. I have no idea how this is going to play out. I have no clue. 
do you think eventually, like maybe, maybe this drags on a little bit longer, and that it happens either at the end of this window or in in the in the uh, winter window? Uh, it will not happen in the winter. That would surprise me more than anything. Um, I, it, it's very like Daniel Levy to allow this to go till the uh, the eleventh hour. So I shouldn't be surprised by that. However, I'm pre if it does, I'm preemptively angry about it because now Tottenham will be left with a, a like a, a treasure chest of of cash that they'll be able to do nothing with to fix themselves and make up for his loss. Um, and so that will be frustrating unless Tottenham spend before then there's talk about them really ramping up their interest in Adama Traore, who was excellent in this game. Although God, if he could, if he could only finish the player, he would be, I, I, mean, I uh, Andrew, I would not touch that. I would not touch that. I would not do that to you. Not in a million years. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. He's one of those players. I think uh, there's a lot going on there in terms of, I just don't think he's the finished product and I'm not sure he ever will be. We're always just waiting for him to get a consistent run. And he, he, I mean, don't forget Nuno left him out of the side last season as well. Plenty of times. And now he wants to bring him to Tottenham. What's well, going clearly, to change? Clearly Nuno thinks something of him if he wants him back. I do I mean, too, but, but I'm yet, I've yet to see. Like, well, we saw it two, two years ago, step up. two years ago, we saw it. And then last year it seemed like he plateaued or even regressed. If what we saw yesterday is any indication of what he's going to be this season, then I think we're getting we're seeing the the two year ago version of Traore. It's very early, and again, like I said, he, he still can't finish. But boy, can he create! Uh, so I would be intrigued by mm. by that with him on the wing. Um, but you know, we'll we'll have to see. One other thing on Tottenham and transfers. So now we're hearing more about Tangi and Dombele just not wanting to play for Tottenham, and I can tell you as I have an irrational love of that guy, and I'm so disappointed with how this is ending. There's a lot of Tottenham fans that probably could care less, um, but I am not one of those. I think he's a potentially brilliant player, and if this winds up never coming to fruition, this will be one that stews with me for a long time. I will be angry about this irrationally to a certain extent. I will be angry about this for a long time if he leaves. Just putting that out there. Yeah, the amount of promise that he entered the club with and the way things have panned out, partly because he came at the wrong time with the wrong manager and Jose Mourinho, but it's just not been good. It's not been good at all, Andrew. Sorry. Uh, and then finally, JJ on the Premier League, uh, Jack Grealish scored his first goal for Manchester City as uh, they go off, put five past Norwich. And um, I guess now they're off and running after a, after a rough start the first week. Yeah, and whatever happens this season, uh, I think City will do that to a. They'll do that to quite a few teams, and um, yeah, there's not much to say about that one except you know, feel bad for Norwich. This was they their start to the season. Liverpool and then Manchester City. Mm. Um, they're they're a better team than in the last two weeks, and I'm sure they'll start picking up points soon. That goal differential is uh, it's in a bad place after two games. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. I say I'm sure they'll start picking up points so points soon. I'm not sure of anything, but uh, I, I think they are better than. Uh, it's unfortunate to start the season with with two powerhouse teams. 
Uh, yeah, certainly is when you're newly promoted. Welcome back, Norch. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break, JJ. On the other side, we're going to talk about what happened in Liga with Nice and Marseille. We're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. And you have a mailbag, which I should tell you, I have not looked at any of them. So be prepared for you, a lot you, of stuttering and stammering or just instinctive answers that make little to no sense. Uh, it should really be interesting. Look, Andrew, you're on vacation, and uh, the fact you're doing this podcast just shows your commitment to the pod, so I will excuse the fact that you wouldn't even open the mailbag this week. Well, when did you send it? I looked at the rundown yesterday. There was nothing. It said, to, uh, I sent it, arrive I sent in it, later. I sent it this morning. We were still we were coagulating. We were tabulating. We were getting more of uh, feedback from our listeners. you got to give this team thing time to percolate. And the fact you didn't even just have a give it a, a quick scan suggests uh, there's deeper problems for you, my friend. You're a monster. Every time that the mailbag has been prepared, you always email it to me. There was no message letting me know it was ready. I, I, I sit down to start the podcast and I guess he doesn't have one today. Next thing I know, I scroll down. It's all there. I, I added it. Uh, I, I, I did change tactics a little bit. Maybe it's uh, my fault. There was a systems failure. I did add it to the Google sheet. So maybe that's my. That's my problem. I don't like it one bit. You're set out on a mission to embarrass me. And we'll find out if you achieve that objective. Let's take a break. We'll be back with a lot more. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside. League on. Nice, Marseille. So about 15 minutes to go in the game. And uh, it, it's this is in Nice. Marseille yep. trailing. And Marseille are preparing for a corner kick, something, a water bottle, some projectile is thrown at Dimitri Payet and he has had it. It hit him. I saw a picture of him afterwards and there's like a welt on his back. Like it, it, it made contact. He had been getting it from certain differing reports. You hear that it wasn't the first thing thrown at him or Marseille players during this game. That place was a cauldron. Uh, and so Payet had absolutely had it. You could see. And he did the thing probably that Nice fans wanted him to do. He picked up the water bottle, launched it back at the crowd. More was thrown at him. He threw all of it back. And I say Nice fans wanted it because you could it, sometimes like I was watching Super Bad recently, JJ, one of my all time favorite movies. And there's a scene before like the, they're at this house party and a fight is about to go down. And they can send, there's this group of guys having like a cocaine party in a back room. And they're basically looking at each other saying, there's going to be a fight tonight. I know it. I've been, sitting, I've been sitting here praying for a fight. I literally wake up in the morning and I am praying for a fight. That was the sense that I got from these Nice fans that they just wanted something to go down. And so when Pyatt threw that water bottle back into the crowd, that was sort of the ignition switch. Next thing you know, Nice ultras are streaming onto the field. There are confrontations with players, security, players of both teams. I should say that Nice's own players seem to be battling their fans to get off the pitch. Um, security is ushering away Marseille players frantically, trying to hold back these, these fans that have stormed onto the pitch. Um, so Marseille players, we fast forward a little bit. They're escorted, escorted back to their locker room. And a while later, league, uh, and they're going to try to resume the game. Marseille refuses to come back out. And uh, the ball is played in a surreal scene. The ball is placed for the corner kick that was supposed to have been taken before all this went down. Nice places the ball there waiting for Marseille's players to come out. They never do. The referee blows the game dead. And I have not read JJ. That's kind of where my knowledge on this ends. I don't know what has been decided since then. Either uh, Nice were leading one nil at the time. And so there's talk about, okay, how is this going to end? And here is, here is what I don't know. 
heading into this. I do not know the exact way to handle this. Here is what I do know. Forfeiting Marseille ain't it. There are, to me, there are three options here. You either pick it up in the 75th minute and play the rest of this game behind closed doors at some point, or you replay the entire match behind closed doors at some point, or you forfeit Nice. Because like I, I don't care that Payet threw that water bottle back into the stands. I don't care about that. Players have to be protected. That's the bottom line. It may have been wrong that he did it, but a message has got to be sent here that fans cannot act like animals. And handing Nice a win of any kind, whether it be shutting it down and just giving them the 1-0, forfeiting them, which becomes a 3-0 win for Nice, that ain't it. There's got to be a stronger message sent than that. And it, so, so giving Nice a victory here, just it, to me, it's the one thing that cannot be allowed to happen. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, there was also uh, unver- unverified photos of um, Matteo Gunduzi and Luan Perez with strangle marks on their necks, according Oy. to the Associated Press. I mean, this was absolutely crazy. As it stands right now, there's no ruling being made. So, guys, don't, don't jump on us. We don't know yet. As we're recording, we don't know. But technically, that is supposed to be, because Marseille didn't come back out, that is technically supposed to be 3-0 to Nice. Right. And I'm saying that can't be allowed to happen. That cannot happen. Sends the worst possible message. Because we, we've talked about, since the pandemic ended, here in the United States, too, at NBA arenas, during the NBA playoffs, like we have seen fans that have bottled up some sort of energy and they and it's come out in some great ways with great atmospheres and all that, but it's also come out in some terrible ways. And we're seeing it a little. We saw it, like we said, at, at the European Championship final at Wembley. Uh, we saw it here in Nice. And like, there's got to be some some guardrail put to this. Like, there's some message has to be sent. And yeah, Nice. Like, if they go, if they play this game again, and Nice wins, fine. Like, then they win the game. But. Like it, it can't end here with a Nice victory. I, I, I think Nice as a football club need to be fined because the stewards and the security there, I mean, those, those fans had to come. If you look at where the stand is, they had a distance to travel before they got to the field. Mm, Not a yeah. huge distance, but enough that there should have been, they should have been stopped before they got to the grass. And uh, it was a bad job there. Yeah, I, I can't see any other way around this other than that it's weighted towards Marseille one way or the other, because they definitely are the victim in this case. You are right with what you're saying about, cause you're right. There's a little bit of a gap between that stand behind the goal and the field itself. However, I'm going to, I'll give a little bit of leniency to stadium security in the situation because ultimately what are we talking here? I mean, like, I'm not saying that, like how many people are in that stand behind the goal? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if that, if that group of people decides we're getting on the field, then what, like how much security can, can you possibly have? Like there, Andrew, there is definitely, there is definitely a, a unwritten social contract in modern stadia that we're not going to have fences. We're not going to have dangerous things that can cause crushes, mm-hmm. but you are also going to stay in your damn seat. <laughs> right. Right. There is definitely that. Most pitches are, we saw that, that uh, piece of video from MLS where the child just hurdles, <laughs> this little infant hurdles the barrier and start, toddler starts running onto the field and the mom has to go after him. Right. And, and it was like, it was no problem, easily done. Um, so yes, there is that. And I, I don't want to come down too hard on security, but in a lot of leagues, um, 
in a lot of leagues, there is a, how, how should we put it? There is a law that says the control of your fans in your stadium, you know, it is your responsibility as a football club and you will get fined for it. Right. And you're right. They, they should be fine. That's true. But I just don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like security that, I mean, I guess if fans wound up on the field there, then a failure of some sort happened. I just feel bad putting it on them because I just don't, I almost in watching the video of it, I was almost relieved with the number of fans that wound up on there because you felt like once the floodgates opened, Oh my God, how is this going to end? How many people are going to empty out onto that field and cause mayhem? And it, it wound up probably not being nearly as many as, as what it could have been. But the fact that it happened at all, the fact that Liga is now dealing with this, the fact that various Marseille players, like you said, I saw the welt on Payet's back. You talked about Guendouzi. Um, you know, the fact that Marseille had to go through this. Yeah, Nice, it's their stadium. They need to be held responsible. So you're right. There, there should be a fine. But that's a tough spot for security, man. Uh, like I, I said, we've got we've sorry to interrupt, Andrew. We've got no knowledge of of what uh, conclusion league on and uh, the powers that be are going to come to. But there is breaking news: Jordan Shachiri joins Leon. Whoa! In a nine point five million uh, pounds sterling deal. So that's what uh, ten eleven million dollars. Um, so that is Jordan Shachiri's uh, period at Liverpool is over. Uh, Premier League winner's medal, uh, World Club Cup medal, and also a uh, European uh, Champions League winner's medal. So, interesting yeah. period. It never quite worked. He never. No. He, cer- he certainly didn't get the game time he would have wanted, but if anyone wants to take a look back and watch the game that he played against Barcelona, he, he made a lot of mistakes in that famous 4-0 night. He was probably the player that you were like, I wish he'd settled down, stop giving the ball away. But he did put the cross in for one of the goals, and um, he's, had some, he's had some contributions the last few years for sure. Well, we've said, we said about him after the Euros that, you know, because he had another successful Euros with, with the Swiss, and, and so we said the time is now. Like, he's not going to be whatever he thought he might be when he went to Liverpool, any kind of focal point or consistent starter. Clearly that ship had sailed and wasn't going to happen. But he's, you know, of an age where like it's kind of now or never. If you want to be that guy on a team, you got to go. And so this Leon move had been talked about for a while. And, um, you know, I'm kind of excited for him to see it go through because I, you know, I, I think he's a good player and maybe not good enough to break through and, and be a regular starter for Liverpool. But um, he can certainly do a, a good job for Leon. So good for him. I think it's a good move for everyone. Right. Let's. We should do Ronaldo quickly because we got a mailbag that you haven't seen, and uh, yeah. this is going to be this is going to be carnage. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of silence, a lot of stoppages during this mailbag. Uh, so Ronaldo, does he want to leave Juventus? Does he want to stay at Juventus? Gab Marcotti, I, I would recommend everybody check out his article at ESPN FC, where he kind of goes through the complexities of this and whether like uh, who is trying to play who here, who is leaking information just to gauge. Uh, reaction like this is <laughs> I don't know or is or are we just reading too much into all of this um, where it seems JJ that Ronaldo a, a report may have been leaked to one of uh, to Edu Aguirre of El Chiringuita who apparently is close to Ronaldo and um, he had a report of Ronaldo potentially heading back to Real Madrid no um, I did not see that Okay, well, I, I think that was it. And Ronaldo that could possibly he denied it, right? Right, he denied it. 
But then there's been all this talk because in, in Gab's article, he basically says that uh, Edu Aguirre of Il Chiringuita is not just some journalist. Go through his Instagram. He is incredibly close with Cristiano Ronaldo. There are a number of pictures of them together in non-business settings. Uh, so he's not just some guy. So Ronaldo denied it. And it leads to the question of, oh, like, is this friendship between these two guys finished or is this all just part of some act where this was leaked intentionally? And then Ronaldo is is putting the kibosh on it to try to save face in some way. But he really does. Yeah, it's it's to get it out there. Yeah, it's it's the first way to break with with Juventus is to have them be aware that there is something going on here. And it, it his friend takes the hit. Um, he asked his friend to do it. Uh, I would say that's the way it went. I mean, we're talking about good sources. Fabrizio Romano had this. He tweeted this yesterday. Cristiano Ronaldo will be on the bench for you, uh, Udinese Juventus official. He's not starting. It was a precise request from Cristiano because he hopes to find a solution on the market in the next days. But Juventus have received no official bids for Cristiano. So this is just a way of him getting out. Hey, guys, uh, you know, if anybody wants to talk to me, I'm, I'm available to be spoken to. Now, the problem is the timing is dreadful. Like, where can he go? There is only one place possibly that he can go. And that would be uh, back to Real Madrid. But can they afford him? Probably not. They, it would take a lot of financial acrobatics to get that done. Um, and I don't think anybody else is going to be interested at, that, at those wages, at that price. So, yeah. um, and it'd be... I'm sure the officials at Serie A want him to stay. I would be fairly confident they do, considering some of the TV deals they've just signed. And then to lose him right at the start of the season would would not be good. But um, he did come off the bench and create on-field drama. Um, he scored what he thought would be the winning goal from a header, Andrew, against Udinese. But VAR, of course, mm-hmm. intervened. Um, so that's a 2-2 draw away at Udinese for Juventus to start the season with. Yeah, uh, I'm interested by this, certainly. I mean, I, look, it's Ronaldo, of course, but like he, he's Ronaldo apparently is very close also with Carlo Ancelotti, who's at Real Madrid now. Um, mm. So it, it just feels like the wind is blowing in that direction. But like you said, there's a lot of financial gymnastics that will be at work here. Not to mention, like, we can't just forget some of the comments that Fiorentino Perez had made about Ronaldo, um, whether or not Ronaldo cares enough about that, where he's just wants to be back there and like, whatever, Fiorentino, you, you go do what you do, stay out of my way and, and we'll be fine here. Um, you know, so there's, this is an interesting one. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how this, how this one ends. Yet another saga added to the list, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. What is he? 37. He's not 37. Why are you aging Ronaldo? I'm gonna, I'm, I thought he was. I'm going to look it up now. Oh, you, oh, no, you're right. He's 36. He turns 37 in February. Oh, okay. okay, so this, he'll be 37 this season. So, like, I, I think that mm. that, in some ways, can at least limit what his transfer fee will be. Um, but you still have to pay those wages. I mean, he's on, what, like $80 million a year? So, like, Good luck with that. But I think his the transfer fee itself, I think, could wind up being manageable, not not extreme. But yeah, it's still a huge amount of money that you're gonna have to come up with to to make him work in that. Before spot. we get off it, Jonathan Wilson. Before we get off it, Jonathan Wilson has posted a uh, article to uh, 
um, Sports Illustrated Online uh, with, with the the very canny title of No Clubs for Older Men. There is a confluence of factors that leaves accomplished yet aging stars like Cristiano Ronaldo without much of a market in the transfer window. Pretty much what we've been saying, what we've been saying right now. There you go. Uh, all right, here we go, baby. It's mailbag time. Uh, caught offside pod at gmail.com. Caught offside ESPN on Instagram and at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter. Follow us. Give us a rating on iTunes. Give us a rating wherever you can, uh, you can give us a rating. We start with Kyle Dawson. I've only been following soccer for eight-ish years. When was the last time a massive club got relegated from the Premier League? And could that happen to Arsenal or some other club this season? I will allow you, <laughs> I will allow you to deal with the latter half of the question. I will deal with the first half. So, of the old order, established big sides. Don't get upset with me. These are the old order, established big sides. Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton. None of those have been relegated in the Premier League era. Manchester United went down in 1973-74 under Tommy Doherty in the old first division. Of the next tier, the, the Chelsea and Man Cities. Chelsea have never been relegated in the Premier League era. They were relegated in 1987-88 from the old first division. So relatively recently, but not since... Uh, the Premier League era and and impossible in the Abramovich era. The City were relegated regularly in both the Premier League and the pre-Premier League era before being bought by uh, Abu Dhabi. And so the last time they went down was actually pretty recent. 2001, they went down. Um, Leeds United being relegated in 03-04 was the last massive club to go down. As a couple of seasons prior, they had been a Champions League semi-final. Now, Leeds had been down in the 80s in the old second division. That's true, but... Uh, a club of their stature and a club that had just so recently been in Champions League final for them to go down and to fall as far down as they did. Um, that's the last big club I can think of. Nottingham Forest, yes, but Forest have been down now for 20 something years and uh, Sheffield Wednesday don't qualify in this, this massive club kind of, um, well, this massive club ring fencing job that I've created here myself. Uh, Villa going down was big too, but they'd experienced it before in the 1980s. In fact, not, not long after winning the European Cup themselves. So yeah, Leeds United is really your last, your last big, big club in England that went, uh, that went down. And I'm not I, felt, I felt like Newcastle going down was a big deal. Newcastle going down, yeah, but I suppose Newcastle went down twice in how yeah. many five years or something like that. Twice the, first, in a decade. the first time they went down, that felt that was shocking to me. Yeah, that didn't that I, that felt like something I, that I, you don't I, normally I, see. Okay, that's a fair point. And Newcastle had been a team that at least in the nineties and and in the early two thousands under Kevin Keegan and Sir Bobby Robson respectively had been in Champions League football and had been uh, competing for Premier League. So yeah, actually, I give you that one. I I, I should have included Newcastle in this. Uh, can you please deal with the second half of this? Well, one other thing, fan, I'm not throwing you in. One other thing you didn't mention, uh, you left Tottenham out of that. I don't think you've included them in any of your tiers. They have, for, uh, what, for, for, whatever, for whatever tier you put them in, they have not been relegated since 76, 77, I believe. Uh, so there's that also. Uh, yeah, I in, should, okay, I should have included it. They should be in the next tier of, of newer good clubs. Um, okay. Yeah, apologies. Um, in terms of whether or not Arsenal will be relegated this season, uh, I will go on record now, and if I'm wrong, then so be it. <laughs> but they're not getting relegated. They're not getting relegated. So I don't. Yeah. I don't think they will either. But I don't think that they are beyond being in that kind of um, flexible mush 
that happens from like ninth position down to like 15th or 16th. If they get relegated, then to me, uh, it, it almost goes into the category of when of my surprise, like when Lester won the title. I'll, I'll almost be that surprised. All right. Put it that way. That's fair. Right. All right. Um, Andrew, sometimes there are topics that light up our inbox and social media and you just you just can't ignore it. It incenses people. It, it gets them angry. This one literally could have opened the show this week. In fact, I was almost thinking because I didn't really think um, Chelsea and Arsenal was that good of a game. I nearly thought we'd do this. So uh, Puma last week dropped a load of, well, dropped a load of something in some people's opinions, a third kit. I never, I've never seen a third kit cause so, make so much waves. Uh, basically, this third kit is not a very traditional kit of any sort in that the uh, crest has been removed. There's no crest. The crest is kind of uh, a faded kind of motif in the background, but it's not a prominent crest. Mm-hmm. You can't really see it. And in, in front, they've written the team name and underneath that, is a sponsor it they look really really first of all the first thing they do is you've got to have a crest the crest is the centerpiece of the club it doesn't matter um if the crest is faded in the background and you can see it that's not good enough the crest has to be prominent there is none and the second thing it just looks so cheap it looks like a fake jersey that you buy on holiday at a stand that also sells sells hot dogs it's yeah it's so, they're so bad. So I, I, I don't like them. Um, I, for the life of me, I don't understand. Like that's, that's just poor market research, I would right. say, to think we can put these out without a, a, a visible crest on them. Like know your audience. Know, know how that will play. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. I will say this about them. Uh, those of us with American brains will not necessarily hate seeing the actual name of the team across the front of the jersey. Uh, but it just looks so like, and there's, there's a problem as well. There's like the font of the team is smaller than the sponsor. The, the, yeah. branded, the branded font of the other team, which just doesn't look right. Like Fenerbahce's one with Avis on it. it oh, it's just so ugly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like how these, like I would not, I always say my general gauge with, with kits is if I saw that in a, in a, club store would i buy it the answer for these is no i would not buy these um but yeah again i i don't i don't hate that the name of the team is on the front i just don't like i don't know i just no, the way I, that it wound up looking i just don't think they did it right yeah. yeah yeah um someone said that it looks as if the people at puma were told you've got an hour an hour to design a kit um a third kit please get doing it now uh, also there was a very funny moment when a Fenerbahce player scored last weekend or was it this weekend in the last few days anyway and uh he wheels away to celebrate and he looks down he, he like picks his jersey up in the classic way where you'd go to kiss the crest right and then he looks around and can't find the crest <laughs> it's all part of yeah. his celebration which was really quite something yeah um gosh pitcher What's up, JJ and Andrew? How cool was it to see two American coaches facing one another in the Bundesliga this weekend? A German league with two American coaches. Never thought I would have seen the day. Yeah, very true. So um, Pellegrino uh, Matarazzo versus Jesse Marsh. Uh, Stuttgart versus uh, Orbi Leipzig. Uh, a 4-0 win for Jesse Marsh. But uh, it's also um, 
This is good, by the way, because I don't think we should always pay attention to this, but, but the credibility factor for uh, American soccer did have a kind of a hole in it without a, a major coach of note operating mm. in the European leagues. And now that we have that, I do think that it's, it's a good thing. Um, but this is also Wayne, New Jersey versus Princeton University. And it further cements the fact that New Jersey is the soccer home of the United States. Wow. They should, they should change it from the Garden State and write New Jersey, home of U.S. soccer. Or just the soccer state. The soccer state. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you look at the amount of players Jersey produces, how competitive the leagues are within Jersey, the amount of participation. California and New Jersey um maybe there's other there's other really good states texas virginia have unbelievable soccer cultures um but i think new jersey is is the soccer state very yeah i I could go along with that isn't uh bob bradley's from new jersey right uh yes and uh carly lloyd that recently retired yeah all right i'll run with that Uh, jonathan sanchez has uh, picked up on something well he didn't pick up on it he experienced something that i have questions about too. Why did it take almost three hours of a weather delay for the refs to realize the field was unplayable for the Hudson River Derby, NYCFC versus Red Bull New York? Um, that was announced over the loudspeakers. It was raining really hard for a few hours already. Couldn't the grounds crew and league officials made that determination earlier? Should there be a strict policy for weather-related delays? Uh, this is from MLSsoccer.com. Saturday evening's New York Derby between the New York Rebels and NYCFC has been postponed due to an unplayable field at Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. Kickoff originally, sh- excuse me, kickoff origi- originally scheduled for 8.25 p.m. Eastern time was delayed for more than two hours due to severe weather in that area. A revised kickoff time was then determined, but the on-site match officials determined that the field was not safe to play. Um... Why not just look at the weather and just can it? Like, I've seen this before where there's been thunder showers and games have been interrupted in the middle of the game and supporters are just left hanging around waiting mm-hmm. for a restart. I've been at games a few years ago. It was an NYCFC versus Colorado game at Yankee Stadium and it got delayed twice because of thunder and lightning. It's just ridiculous. Fans always suffer with this. And this one was an easy one to call. Yes. Because we were in the midst of a massive a rainstorm of a hurricane, tropical storm moving in. Just give the fans a chance to get home and not have them hanging around three hours of a weather delay and fans wondering what's going to happen. It's just not right. It's contemptuous. Yeah, it's unacceptable. And, you know, like, look, I've seen it. I've seen both sides of it with baseball, but I think to compare it to baseball this past weekend in New York, I believe the Yankees preemptively canceled their Sunday game on Saturday because they knew what was coming. Um, so like <laughs> there, like you said, there were no surprises here with that weather. And I saw the, the pictures. There's kind of that famous video that's been circulating on Twitter of the match official trying to, <laughs> trying to kick the ball um, at the center circle. And like, he's, he kicks it with force, like to the point where the ball probably should roll. Like if it was a normal field, the ball could potentially roll somewhere from like, 15 to 20 yards with how hard he kicks it. JJ goes like three feet. Like the ball does not move. So yeah, this, like you didn't need three hours 
if you didn't like you could have canceled this ahead of time knowing with what was coming but of fine of course you could but, but like fine you play soccer can play through the rain so we're going to give it a go but you did not need three hours one hour maybe less was, was sufficient to know we're not playing soccer tonight uh so yeah i i feel bad for those fans and i'm sure like so so what like what's the conspiracy though that like we're going to keep this open so people continue to consume alcohol and buy food and buy stuff and like and we're going to, you know, we're going to play the game at all because we want people to pay for parking, whether or not it's it's anywhere as malicious as as what it sounds like, like a calculated. I don't know that that's true. But when you do something like this, you open yourself up to fans feeling that way, that they're being used so you can line your pockets again. Yeah, I'm, that may not be true, but that, that's the sort of blowback that you get when this stuff happens. One hundred percent. I was um, I was at Red Bull Arena on uh, Wednesday night for uh, the Columbus Crew game. I, I enjoyed it so much. There isn't a bad seat in the house in that oh, place. I love it, that place, yeah. Yeah. Now, look, 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, it's not good. You're not going <laughs> to fill it, and it wasn't close to being full. I mean, I would say if there was 8,500, they did well, which is t- really poor. But the hardcore Red Bull fans that were there are brilliant, man. They love this team. And um, I hate when fans are being exploited or, you know, just made to wait around. You could have done them a favor and you could have really looked after them in this instance at the weekend. Yeah. Um, one breaking news note. Oh boy. Uh, from the LA times, uh, us women's national team star, Kristen press becomes the first player to sign with angel city FC, which is going to be the new team, uh, which will play next season. Um, our own Kathleen McNamee said sources with knowledge of the deal told the LA times it will make her one of the highest paid players in NWSL history. Wow. So angel city, um, really deciding that we are going to make a splash and make sure, um, make sure we're known from the get go and we're going to, we're going to pay a big, big fee. Good for them and good for her. Well-deserved. Indeed. Indeed there you so. go. Is that it for the mailbag? That is the mail busy. Thanks to everyone who contributed uh, this week, and uh, we'll have another one next week. We'll have a we'll have quite a busy week next week. Next week, Andrew, we got to plan that out with the the international break yeah. hitting us right in the face. Yeah, it really is. I am. I know sometimes that that's the international break in particular that sometimes bothers people the most because it's just as you're really getting momentum going on the domestic seasons. Nope, not this time. I am extremely excited for this to happen. It is World Cup qualifying time. The road back to redemption begins next week. I cannot wait. And look, it's been a fabulous summer. It's been very enjoyable to pick up two trophies in the summer against your biggest rival. I'm not for a second telling you that the great feelings you had weren't exactly that great feelings. Uh, But those feelings will be gone. They will be washed away. Like so much garbage was in Brooklyn by the storms of rain that is World Cup qualifying. If you don't get it done over the next year or so. Um, So friends, the real, real stuff starts next week. And I hope you can join us for it. What you say is true. Also, I don't care for your attitude in the way you've approached that. That was, that was really negative. It almost sounded, if I didn't know any better, it almost sounded like you're rooting for it. Like you're rooting for chaos and uh, I didn't care for that. I, I want a much more positive JJ next week. I am very positive, but uh, you know what? I'm positive, Andrew, that we got to get out. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, this was fun. I enjoyed this thoroughly. 
Uh, enjoy all the games throughout the course of the week and weekend. We'll be back, like we said, next week with another Caught Offside. Good stuff, my friend. To you, I say... Check you later, phone boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 